And thank you for listening to this episode of the Perspectives on Leadership podcast brought to you by Fire Engineering. Uh, as we go into 2023, uh, I wanted to start with gratitude and thank everybody who has listened, called, text, uh, left comments regarding the podcast through the various social media platforms. Um, I'm truly humbled and I am excited to continue this dive into leadership throughout the new year. Um, again, my name is Steve Shaw. Uh, I'm your host. Uh, very proud to be an assistant for Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue, assistant chief for Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. Uh, I'm also honored to be part of the fire engineering family uh, as an author, as a presenter at FDIC, and the host for this podcast. Um, as much as I consider myself to be that student of, of the fire service these days, uh, I find more myself more of being a student of leadership more than ever, and that's what this podcast is dedicated to. Before we dive into our guest, Chief Stone, before we dive into the content, um, I just want to say a couple words. Uh, before we begin, I would like to I'd be remiss if I didn't reflect upon the wonderful opportunity that uh, it was to get to know Chief Halton. Uh, he supported my vision for this podcast uh, and allowed me the platform to share uh, knowledge with my brothers and sisters, and I am I'm, I'm very grateful. He taught me what it was to be unapologetic in your beliefs while at the same time maintaining that humility to hear the opinions of others. Uh, he inspired me, he challenged me, um, and I'm a better firefighter and a better person because of him. Uh, he, during our last conversation on the phone I had with him a couple weeks before his passing, uh, he mentioned how FDIC was a, a tactics conference, not just with firefighting, but with all things, leadership, training, mentoring, et cetera. And, and no matter what we taught or presented or spoke on, that we should always focus on the tactical ways for our listeners and our readers to model or deploy these ideas in the real world. So in that spirit and in his honor, I will continue to focus on the tactics as well as the concept. So I want to make sure I say thank you to Chief Alton and uh, for everything he did for me. Um, okay, so uh, I continue to be fascinated by how our perspective uh, affects our ability to lead. Uh, perspective is the lens which we see through, and your perspective can also be the lens that other people can look through as well. So call it what you will, mindset, viewpoint, angle, perspective is a powerful tool in the toolbox of a leader. The goal for this podcast is uh, continues to be pretty straightforward. To take a concept or a trait that we associate with leadership and then take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. Our fire rescue service is filled with amazing leaders and each have their own perspective on leadership. I want to pick their brains and allow them to provide as many tactical, immediately deployable takeaways as possible to the listener. I am forever grateful to Fire Engineering and Chief Halton for allowing me to have this platform so that I can do my part in passing it on to my brothers and sisters in the fire service. So let's get into it. Um, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. This line from John Maxwell's 21 Laws of Irrefutable Leadership has stuck with me for years. Why? Well, if you were to ask me just over a decade ago, what is your definition of leadership, Steve? I'm not sure how I would have responded. I, I think I would have probably thrown out a bunch of words or phrases or, or, or traits, but I probably wouldn't have had uh, a succinct definition of leadership at that time. So fast forward uh, to when I started really taking this journey to understanding what it is to be a leader seriously, I revisited that concept. So why do I like the word influence? Well, why has that become my, my personal definition? Well, first off, it's agnostic. In other words, it says nothing about rank, tenure, time in the job, size of your agency, or whether you're not a volunteer or a career firefighter. It says nothing of religion, race, color, creed, culture, sexual orientation, or age. It also, and this is the big part, it says nothing about being good or bad. So let's be real. 
there are great leaders out there and there are ones that are let's say struggling um and regardless uh, there are leaders out there who are great but maybe going through a bad time in their lives or having a bad day regardless there are th those who lead influence continuously whether we like it or not on and off the job so i'm honored to have chief shannon stone with us today on the podcast um I attended a presentation a few years back from Chief Stone called the, the Nuggets in the Right Seat. And it's funny how a single word or a phrase can trigger an emotion or cause one to have that, that moment of pause. The phrase that Shannon used was impact one person. So I wrote that down and I have referenced that, that statement a hundred times uh, through lectures and presentations. And with all this talk lately about recruitment and retention and how succession planning is an issue, I thought this would be a great uh, combination to dive into. Influence how it starts with that one person. So uh, before I, I get, uh, let uh, uh, Chief Stone uh, uh, currently working his way through the ranks, um, serving through the, Oak or, sorry, worked his way through the ranks, serving as the Okaloosa County Special Operations Chief, overseeing the Okaloosa County Special Operations Team. He retired as an operations battalion chief with the city of Fort Walton Beach Fire Department, located in the panhandle of Florida. He holds multiple degrees and state certifications and has been a Florida state paramedic since 97. Additionally, he worked as a firefighter for Escambia County Fire Rescue for 14 years, which is a 23-station combination fire department located in Pensacola, Florida. Shannon teaches at a variety of events uh, from the Orlando Fire Conference, the Metro Atlanta Fire Conference, Portland Fire Conference, Lone Star Fire Conference, HROC, Command Officer Boot Camp, and FDIC. He specializes in teaching company officer leadership and engine company ops, and he's married with three children and is currently operations chief for the Midway Fire District located in Gulf Breeze, Florida. And again, before I let him jump in there, I, I want to just say a couple words about him. Uh, I've had the chance to see Shannon, Shannon do his Nuggets from the Right Sea class, and I filled, I think, my, my first page of notes within the first couple hours. Um, I also got to see him and his brother present at FDIC last year for their anatomy of a rescue session, and I thought it was brilliant. And I've always been a fan of the way he and other people in his in his scope use videos to add um, realisticness and, and relevancy to their presentation. It was a brilliant class. So the three things I think of <laughs> about Chief Stone, uh, and this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to go there anyway. I think about the the movie The Usual Suspects, and why do I think about that? Well, first of all, I think of it because we know our usual suspects. We know our people. And we're proud of that. We're proud that we know our people. We know who our rock stars are, and we know who needs a lot of work. We know the best way to positively influence them. And whenever I go to conferences, we know the ones that we're always going to see. And I usually call them the usual suspects. So I always think about that. Going further with that idea of the usual suspects, I remember a quote that I heard on an ad one day, and it was, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And that was a line from the movie. And I hadn't seen the movie yet. So it's amazing how that same way that that phrase that Kevin Spacey alone said made me run out and rent the movie is very similar to the way I reacted with some of the knowledge that Shannon was dropping during his lecture. When he spoke of impacting one person, that gave me that moment of pause. And I definitely want to dive into that and talk about the weight and the impact of words. Last thing I'll say is I think of this idea of all that takes a little is a little push. As I said before, we know our usual suspects. We know our people. And how many of those are right there? How many of those people are right there, either at the precipice, right at the point, right at that area where all they need to be to be a rock star or to get involved or take the next promotional test or start teaching or whatever is a little push. And that's the value of knowing our people, knowing our usual suspects. So, so Chief Stone, thank you for being here with me today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me and uh made me sound a lot better than I am, though. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. 
Well, it's 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 great to have you, man. And um, uh, thank you for being my first guest of 2023. So let's let's dive right into it, man. Um, so in, in diving into influence, um, I, I'd like to ask you first where the impetus for that Nuggets of the Right Seed class came from. Um, like I said, it was the first interaction I had with you, and I took a ton of notes, and a lot of it spoke to me. Can we unpack that a bit? Can you can you tell me where that came from? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> I spent uh, nine, almost a uh, little under 10 years as a company officer, a captain, um, assigned to uh, a pretty busy station. You know, we went, went a bunch of different directions, did a lot of good stuff, and it was really fun. Uh, but when I got promoted at a very young age, um, at 29, which at the time was uh, the youngest in my department's history to get promoted to an officer, is a very... Uh, I'm going to say older department, but I mean, people typically didn't leave there. And uh, so when I got promoted, you know, as you would expect, like most officers, it was a big, it was a big learning curve. I've been a fireman for about nine years, almost 10 years. So looking back on it, I didn't feel it then, but looking back on it, I was certainly a very young company officer, you know, in in charge of, uh, you know, grown men that were older than me and had a lot more experience. Uh, in doing so, like most departments, uh, there was no training program, you know, um, to prepare me for that position, as there was no training program to prepare you for a battalion chief position. Uh, funny, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I don't really share in my classes, but uh, when I got promoted, I worked uh, uh, for a relatively new battalion chief, uh, ended up working for him for a long time. I probably learned more from him than I have anybody else in my career. Just a super sharp guy when it came to operations. And he pulled me downtown to his station to ride with him for a few shifts. And I thought, well, this is really cool. Like, you know, we have no training program. And this guy is like really taking me in. He's going to kind of show me because he knows I'm young. I'm downtown with him for like two shifts. And at the end of the second shift, he's like, yeah, man, uh, listen, I'm taking off next shift. I need you to slide over to the battalion buggy. And I was like, you want me to do what? (laughs) I'm like, two weeks ago, I was just driving a fire truck. And you, you're at, you want me to move to the battalion vehicle to, to act as battalion for a shift while you're gone? Not all that uncommon in the American Fire Service. Uh, definitely not the best way um, to do it. But that was the extent of my officer developmental training. So I spent the next so many years learning, reaching out to people, trying to do my best to, to, to figure out the best way to be good operationally and learn how to be, you know, a better leader, a more mature leader. Um and, you know, I spent the first couple of years, like most people, uh, just making way more mistakes than, than I was doing right um, and trying to learn from them. So fast forward to myself getting promoted to battalion chief about 10 years later, and I'm about a year into being a battalion chief. And I find myself going through the same the same exact scenario, you know, no training plan. You know, I thought I really had a grip because I'd acted up as battalion chief for many years, but it's totally different than doing it full time. You know, I'm being in charge of, of a larger group and the, the leadership dynamics are totally different. Um, so about a year into it, a good buddy of mine, I'm sure people listening have probably probably heard of him, Kurt Isaacson. He and I grew up in the fire service together. Um, you know, he started putting on conferences up here in Pensacola Beach about 10 years ago. And uh, I was one of the main guys that was helping him get the conferences up and running and doing a little teaching. He says, hey, man, can you can you do a, a leadership class like on a like a battalion chief leadership class, because we're going to do this class, uh, this conference called Command Officer Bootcamp. And I want like it really leadership based. And I'm like, oh, I love leadership. So I was like, yeah, man. So I went back to the firehouse and I started trying to think of it. And I spent maybe a couple hours and I just called him. I said, I can't do it. He goes, well, why not? 
I said, man, I don't know what to write about. I'm the last guy that needs to tell a battalion chief how to be a battalion chief when I'm a year into it and I'm still screwing up way more than I'm ever succeeding. But I told Kurt, I said, but I got a plan. I spent almost a decade as a company officer and I want to share what I've learned in that 10 years, which a lot of it's leadership, a lot of it's operational. I said, I feel like I have something to give there. At that point, I had, you know, 18, 19 years on the job and I felt like I had enough experience and I felt like I had enough to share. So that was the beginning of that class. And I, I, I don't remember how I came up with the name other than I just remember, like, I just want to provide a bunch of random nuggets to people because the one thing that I found in the American Fire Service, and I say it all the time now, is firemen are very predictable. When you get to about 20, 25 years in and you look back, you can kind of have a really good idea how things are going to play out. When you, when you understand the personalities, you understand the job. And the one thing that we've lacked severely in the American Fire Service is, is leadership development, is officer development. And that's what's really spawned that class was to basically have an experience-based class, a lot of it developed off of failure, um, that you can share with other people. And whether you work in urban, suburban, um, in different areas, it, that part didn't change a whole lot because a lot of it had to do with people, had to do with influence, had to do with leadership skills. Um, so your challenges were very similar and many times almost identical. So as I've done this class over the years, um, I think I've gotten some pretty good feedback primarily because it resonates no matter where you work because our challenges mm -hmm. Well, you've been doing it long enough. You and I can talk all day long about the challenges, and we'll be just telling the same stories, just with different individuals in them, right? <laughs> so that was a very long, very long answer to your to your question. But that's that's how it started, and it's it's evolved. I've changed it, man. I, over ten years, I have probably changed it. I, I kid you not, probably fifty times, because I'll run across something, I'll remember something, or I have somebody share with me just a, a great idea or concept that I think other people would benefit. So I put it in, and have to pull something out. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there, there you have it, man. It's, you know, that's how that class was started. And I, I do it on occasion now, not so much, pretty much for my department now. And here in the local in the south end of the county I work in is where I've, last three years of my new job is where I've focused really using mm -hmm. that class and other things like it, you know. I hear that. No, and like I said, yeah, I remember just being there, uh, taking the class, and I took a, a, a lot of notes, to say the least, and it was insightful. And it was a lot of those, those nuggets you use, whether uh, you got them from somebody else or you developed them over time, it just it gave me a moment of pause. And I, I think that it, for me personally, it was one of those areas where I think I needed to hear those things at that point in my career, wherever I was, and it just it, it jived really very quickly. So, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you're still teaching that class, and I think that uh, you mentioned revision of those classes. I think that those of us that are, are teaching and presenting, it's it's healthy to revise them. It's necessary to revise them. You need to revise them. Constantly updating with the most recent materials and such. And so, and I, I, I did. You say firemen are predictable, and it's 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 a simple concept, but it's so true. We are we are a special breed, but we we are predictable. And um, I think there's a lot even to unpack with that comment. But you're right, though. I think that there's a lot here. I think you also mentioned in terms of the learning curve and the challenges of being promoted because I think we still struggle in the fire service, the American fire service with succession planning and, and training our new folk in those new positions, whether it's officer or uh, chief officer. And, and we have the same things down here. We're both from Florida. You're from the north side of Florida. I'm from the south side. But we represent a pretty good dichotomy of the state. And if what's happening here, we know it's happening everywhere else. And we teach enough to know that those are the same challenges across from not only here, but across there. And um, it's it's good to share those 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 shared struggles or something that keep us together, unfortunately, as well. Uh, so let me ask you something here. Um, in terms of your class, and one of the comments that I mentioned in the intro was the idea of impacting one person that you cover in your class, and this spoke to me. 
we are seeing issues with uh, recruitment, retention. We just talked about the issues we have with succession plan. Um, and it's regardless of the size of the agency, whether you're a volunteer or career, or, 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 um, or career, we see it all over the place. And I know that uh, I was talking to Billy Goldfeather, and he's on a, um, a, a committee on, on recruitment and retention. It's a big ticket item, and even they're struggling with it at that high of a level. So in terms of just getting down to more of a granular level and more brass tacks and whatnot, how does the way we influence our own contribute or help try to contribute to a, these challenges in a positive way? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, one of the biggest things that I've been focused on since I've come to my new organization, I've been here three years and I've been really lucky to give an opportunity to come in as the ops chief and do a lot of the stuff that you and I think are important and others that are, that are studying the fire service. And one of them is, you know, succession planning, you know, recruitment. And, you know, and I'll tell you what ties directly into that is, is, is building, you know, building a culture, you know, a purpose-driven culture. And a lot of, I mean, we could get into rabbit holes a lot on that, but the, basically the, the takeaway is building a purpose-driven culture, I think, is a part of your recruitment. It can be a part of your recruitment. You know, when I came in, this department that I'm at now, is, it's a small department, it's a two-station department. We're in the process of building two more stations. We automatic aid with another uh, three departments, another six stations, something like that. So it's your typical suburban fire department, you know. Um, but when I came in, the chief had a vision about the expansion and where uh, he wanted it to go, which is how I kind of came into his plan. And a big part of that was really identifying our culture, very much like what Scott Thompson talks about. You know, I've reached out to him, become friends with him over the years. And, you know, just a really uh, amazing guy that has some really good, heavy academic insight into exactly what we're talking about. Um, but building that culture of what guys want to be a part of is a big part of the recruitment. We we recruit, we hired, we hired six right after I got here um, to put a, a ladder company in service. And we had a really good turnout on what we typically not see a big turnout, but a lot of it had to do with recruitment, what we were telling everybody we were doing, what our vision was, where we were going. Um, I think to help a little bit with me being a local here and, you know, and, and not being a part of any large Metro fire departments, everybody kind of knows each other. So they kind of knew a lot of them knew the operational direction the department was going. So all that being said, you know, having the ability to influence a, to a culture and I guess in my position to help kind of build that culture, I think um, helps in the succession and the, the recruitment. It, it's certainly not going to fix it, but if you look at uh, I'd be willing to bet if you look at departments people are flocking to, they're either flocking to them for the money or they're flocking to them for the culture. You know, Escambia County is a great example. You know, those guys, and I hate to say it, they just, they haven't been well taken care of over the years. And I know it, you know, better than most being working over there with the fire department and for many years with EMS as a medic before that. Um, but what, but what they do have over there, they've got a very strong culture that, you know, guys want to be a part of, you know, young kids coming in, want to be a part of you know they want to they want that and that helps attract people and in our succession planning here in our department because 30 percent of our department is eligible to retire in seven years which we're going to have and that's in addition to expanding out multiple stations you we're talking to have a we're going to have a huge paradigm shift of experience and what we're doing here with with the culture and building and trying to to position people in the right places has a lot to do with that you know, buying off on the culture as to why we do what we do and what our purpose is. You know, I've said this in my class, the anatomy of a rescue, and I use it in my nuggets. 
you know, um, when you find, when you find your purpose, you know, that's when you find motivation and that's, that's on us. That's on me and you and the officers to do to help, to help create that, you know, cause once that happens, really, really amazing things can happen. And I could talk all day about what we're doing here at Midway, but I can tell you, I've been to some, I'm going on three years here now and it's, man, the momentum is, is heavy, it's strong and it, it's starting to pay off. And I, I'm, I'm literally seeing it in front of me, how, how that whole concept of influence, culture building, ownership, empowerment, servant leadership, how it's all starting. It's not perfect. You know, I tell the chiefs all the time, man, we got to know what we don't know so we can adjust our sales. But, mm. you know, you keep those things in the forefront about servant leadership, putting people first, understanding the importance of influence based off of trust and respect and your actions. Good things are going to happen. You're not going to be perfect, but you're going to have more good things happening than not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I'll stop answering your question because I can just keep going into different facets <laughs> of it. But, uh, yeah, it, play, it plays a big part. It plays a big part into it, especially the higher rank you go. And I don't mean that rank-wise, but, I mean, let's be honest, each rank you go up, you have the potential to impact more people. It's just as simple as that. So each rank you go up, the more influence, the better leader you are and the better servant you are, you are going to have a better um, results on on how you impact people you know, make a difference, if that makes sense. Now, you mentioned servant leadership, and our, our new fire chief started on the, on the first of this month, and one of the things he first said first in his first email was the idea of he, that servant leadership concept, and he's really driving that home and talking to our officers for officer development class and just preaching that concept, and it's it's refreshing to hear that. Um, and you mentioned culture. I Like you, we get to, to travel around and do a little bit of teaching, and I, I do it not as much as some, but I, enough to, to – get a good glimpse of people out there. And it's really wonderful to see some of the the drivers of that culture. And it did, not only the higher ranks, but even at the the, the the firefighter position, the driver position. I was over in uh, in, our, in our neck of the woods in the down south. We have a lot of competition teams. We have the combat challenge teams, the RIT competitions, ALS competitions, hazmat competitions. And these guys usually span all over the ranks, but mostly they're firefighters. And these are the firefighters that are out there on their own dime, their own time, training and sweating and grinding and working together. And they attract other people. You know, it's one of those things where someone's out there doing that. They start attracting others to them. And I, I try to just gravitate towards them. I not only gravitate towards them, I try to feed them. I, I for example, become the, the unofficial competition team's coordinator. Like, I don't, I don't compete with them, but I do my best to do my part at my rank. One, because I'm getting old. I can't do all that stuff like I used to. But if I could be the guy that supports them from my rank in terms of trying to get them the funding, trying to get the hotels lined up, the, the fees paid for and all that jazz, organizing times to train, whatever they need, that's, that's my role now. And I love supporting them because – they're influencing up the rank. They're influencing everybody from their position, and it's so refreshing. And I get to look around different departments, and I see those little pockets. And more, it's not more than a pocket. They're like groups. They're like uh, large companies of those motivated folks. And you see them at the same classes. You see them at the same seminars. And the big talk that I have with them these days it was, is we're trying to say, listen, and go back to what I said before, we know the usual suspects. We know who we're going to see at these conferences. If I go to, to, to HROC or any of the conferences you're at, I know who I'm pretty much going to see in that area. We have the same usual suspects we're going to see. But the trick is, how do we get the next person to join them? How do we get the person that they're at the same station with to come with them? What do we need to do to get the extra person so it's not just the usual suspects? I mean, they're great. They're awesome, and we want to cater to them. But 
how do we start pulling in the other people to buy into that that culture like you said and that that's powerful i'm glad you mentioned culture because you're right whether it's the paycheck or the culture those are the two big driving factors um our department like like uh like you mentioned with the scambia is very aggressive we are gritty we are dirty we are urban we are we are just a a, a busy fire rescue department and we love it and you don't come here unless you know you're going to be busy you're going to run a lot of calls you're going to catch some fires you're going to provide value but you're going to be busy and you're going to learn a lot but you're right that culture if we did not have that culture i don't know what we would get i don't know who would be lining up at the doors and that kind of scares me so i'm glad that we're getting who we're getting because we developed that culture and such um so going further a little bit um i wanted to talk about the the weight of our words uh like i, I think that whether i'm attending your class or other people's classes i always seem to write things down and some of those words just stick they just stick um you know what we say matters you know people listen to us even when we think they're not listening and that's it's good and sometimes not good uh but they remember what we say and um i always keep in the back of my mind sometimes i'll, I'll say something just nonchalantly or just just because i said it and then somebody will call me out on it days weeks years later hey do you remember when you said that i'm like no did i but they remember so in terms of that uh how do our words play into our ability to influence let's dive into that a little bit i i think they play a, a big part more so than we realize you know and uh i think um I don't know. One of the takeaways for me is that, you know, the older I get, I'm, I'm 52 now. So I'm like, I guess I'm considered one of the older guys, even though I just don't feel that way. But that that's where I'm at. Uh, you have a little wisdom that comes along with it. And you start thinking about that, what you just said. Like, you're not going to hear 20 year olds really think about that a whole lot. You're going to hear guys who actually care and give a shit about, you know, how they impact things, have those conversations. But it does. And I can tell you, for me, you know, one of the things and I encourage I encourage this, especially my senior guys, is to stop and pause. Um, you know, I'm a completely, I'm not a completely different, but I'm, I'm, I'm a considerably different leader now than I think I was 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Some people say, well, you know, does that mean you're hypocritical? I said, no, that means I've learned some shit of what not to do and maybe some right things to do. And one of them is, is, you know, I am quick to pause now and not respond a lot of times because of what you just said. And I'm speaking from a chief's level. Okay. And even, even in an informal setting where you're sitting at the, the kitchen room table, you know, the kitchen table, having a, a cup of coffee or something, it's the same, but you know, I, I, what I, what I really work to do is not to respond emotionally. And that's tough to do if you really, really care, you know? So for, you know, the individuals that, that may watch this, if they have a passion, you know, in the fire service, they're going to know exactly what I mean. Sometimes it's very difficult not to pop off and say exactly what you think, but understanding the, the weight of what your words carry, especially as you move up the ranks and you become an influential and hopefully a respected chief and a respected human being, um, they're huge. It is a big deal. And, you know, and if you start, if you want to dig into it even further, you know, I want to say, I don't can't remember the numbers, don't hold me to it, but around 70, 75% of your communication comes from nonverbal. You want to dig into that further because what you just said earlier, you're exactly right. I've been down that same road. I'll have someone say something. I'm like, did I say that? I don't remember that. And I certainly didn't mean that. You know, I've literally gone back before and like, well, I'm, Listen, man, I'm sorry. Like, if I said that. I didn't mean it that way. Like, I sincerely apologize. I didn't mean that it came across that way. You never even knowing of, of, of what their perception and their interpretation of your words are or your body language, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I would speak more from just maybe a senior person's perspective that, that uh, 
that has that has influence and respect to the guys. I would say it's a very very big deal. And I what I've done too. I was just talking to my my brother, you know, who I'm, I don't know if you've met him or not, but uh, I think you have. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been on the job for close to twenty years now. He's about ten years behind me. Um, we have a lot of these conversations, you know, and and uh, you know I, we we talk all the time about you know what chiefs we aspire to be. Like, let's let's be honest, man. You go through your life, and and I hopefully most people admit it, but you look at people and you go, you know what? I want to emulate that person. I want to emulate that person. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want I want to be looked at like that guy or that gal. Um, and certainly coming to the fire department, many people do. I have officers I can tell you about that I watched them, and man, I that's who I want to be like. And I tried to to emulate their behavior, and I'm at the point now where I see chiefs, you know, that conduct themselves in such a professional way, yet they're so highly respected and highly skilled on the operational side. Which, and they're good leaders, which I think is not all that common in the fire service. And I, I aspire to try to um, conduct myself like they do. And what they do is they don't react emotionally. You know, they think before they speak a lot of times. Guys like Dave McGrail, Mike Lombardo, um, you know, some of these these really well-spoken, super, super experienced, educated guys that are well-respected. And I watch how they carry themselves and how they speak and how they respond. Um, so even now at 32, almost 33 years, you know, I'm watching guys like that, guys like you and, and how they conduct themselves and really, I guess, weigh heavily on how I communicate, uh, especially in my organization, um, because of because of what you just said is, you know, that the weight of the words uh, can be much greater and have much more of an impact. And many times, you know, as well as I do, you won't find out until later because it's not like they're coming to tell you right away. <laughs> You try to create that environment, but the reality is, is there's layers and it, it takes, sometimes it takes time, you know, which is not a good thing sometimes. So <laughs> that's the truth right there. <laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, you, you, when you were talking about the, the, the weight of our words, um, I was, I was, uh, I had a captain that worked for me years ago. His name was Matt Green, great captain. And one day he said out loud, you know, I'm trying to surround myself with good people. And before that time, it was really weird. I, I was thinking about, about 40 years old at the time. Weirdly, I've never heard that statement be uttered out loud before. I've read it in books. I've seen it in memes. I may have saw it in a movie or something, but nobody's ever said that out loud. So it was really a, a moment of pause for me. Like you said, one of those moment of pauses because I realized the power of vocalizing what I was thinking, not just thinking it or keeping it in the ether, but putting it out there. And when he said that, not only was I just honored to be part of what he considered a, a group that he's trying to surround himself with, but he gave me this unasked for permission to start vocalizing more, to, 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 to verbalize more. Um, I'll give you another story. My, my wife, my wife's a psychologist, right? And a while back, I remember her saying to me, you know what? You don't say I love you anymore. And I, and I was very careful in how I respond to this. And of course, my, my machismo response was, well, honey, you know, I love you. Why, why don't we say, it? you know, I love you, you know, and she was not happy with that response to say the least. Apparently in the psychology world, that's not the right response. But she explained it to me. She goes, no, 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 I, I need to hear it. And and that was profound. You know, we need to hear people saying things, whether it's I love you, whether it's you're doing a good job, whether it's you're doing hey, a job that needs to be improved or just having those conversations. But that the permission that that one guy gave me to vocalize and, and use my voice more has been powerful. Even even like this week, talking to people, hey, listen, I'm trying to do my best to communicate with you. Just saying things like that out loud. Um, it, it did. So I, I've learned to, to find the power in, in just vocalizing things. So I'm glad you went into that a little bit. Um, I also think of uh, 
uh, the, this idea of your voice and your volume and the and the the way in which you transfer that information. Um, I, I I've been I, you know like you, I'm an administrative chief right now, but I'm the administrative chief over EMS and training, and sometimes I have to weigh in on operational decisions. Now, there's one chain of, of of thought that's like, well, hold on, that's not your lane. Let's stay in your lane, stay in your bubble. Okay, to a certain extent, but then again, on the other side of the coin, I've been on for 23 years. I got a little bit of experience, and I have a voice. So for me these days, I'm trying to do my best to make sure that I'm using my voice in my realm appropriately at the certain amount of volume that I need to, to at least be heard, at least offer opinions or guidance or whatever, and then come back into my lane, but at least being heard to help contribute to whatever the situation is. And so, but you're right, the words are powerful and people remember all that stuff. They don't, they don't seem to forget some of the, the things you say, especially the, the more, um, how we say complex or the, the more crucial conversations, they don't seem to forget those things, which is a good thing in, in some cases. Um, well, you, well, you know, if you think about it too, the way, the way that you communicate, you know, and what you're talking about, you know, I, I, I've, I've added this to my class and then I took it out because I thought I had some other stuff that I just thought was more important. There's only so much time, but you talk about building uh, communication platforms with people, you know, and what you just said, you know, as a training, as a training chief, having that ability to create those platforms, where you can communicate and they're willing to listen and hopefully you can communicate something in a, in a fashion where uh, they feel it's important that they listen. And that all comes off of basically your leadership skills, your ability to influence, uh, your ability to communicate. Um, the other thing you said was really interesting too, and I've added this to my class probably since uh, you've taken the class and uh, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it's just, it's a common thing because you referenced it. And I have on my slides, on a slide, it's real simple. And it starts with surround yourself with, five great leaders and you'll become the six surround yourself mm -hmm. with five shitty shitty firefighters you'll become the six and the thing is and the way i preface it in the class is that i do the same thing with my children all three of my children i'm very very picky on who i allow them to be surrounded with um learning it as a young parent and then hearing a another parent who i really looked up to explain it to me as the one thing he would have done differently as a parent is he would have been more apt to remove negative influences out of his kids' lives. Now, if you're willing to acknowledge that as a parent, then why would we not acknowledge that in a professional organization where it's a fire department or you're building a business or anything like that? You know, so the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people is is huge, hugely important. And then, you know, if you want to put that responsibility, you want to have that conversation at a chief's level, and I'll use myself as an example. I mean, I'm the number two guy in my department. So uh, you know, it's it's vastly important for me to ensure that I create an environment where that's what is expected, you know, and and certain things are not tolerated because I'm trying to remember who said this, man. God, I'd like to give credit, but I can't remember who. Um, and it may have been Scott Thompson, but he, he talked about for, you know, every inappropriate behavior that's being done by a firefighter, there's an officer that's allowing it. Mm. Every officer that's allowing it there's a battalion chief or a district chief that's allowing it. Every district or battalion, there's an ops chief. You know, and granted, where I work and where I have worked in smaller organizations, there's really no excuses because we can find stuff out way, way quicker than you can in Fort Lauderdale, I guarantee it, because of the size of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that being said, ties all into making sure that you're surrounded. And in our case, developing an organization of, you know, hopefully more A's and B's very few, if any, C's and no D's or F's. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So anyhow, you mentioned those two things, and it's interesting because both those correlate with exactly the way I, that I've seen things and that what I'm what I'm doing here when it comes to surrounding yourself with 
with the right people and, and having the ability to create those communication platforms mm-hmm. so that you, as an example, have the ability to go into a senior staff as a training officer and, and step into other lanes uh, and have influence, you yeah. know? You know, I'm glad you went there. I, I remember teaching at the fire academy locally here, and there was a good core group of instructors that I was a part of, and I was really blessed to be part of those that 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 group. But it was the influence they had on me that was the most impactful. Every time I would bring them, and we were talking about the videos before we started the um the the conversation about the videos we would uh, record on scene, whether it was a fire, an extrication, whatever. I would bring in a lot of my incident footage to my my core group of instructors, these these guys who I really uh, uh, just bonded with. And they weren't shy. They, they held me accountable. As much as we were watching the fires or watching the extrications, they also said, why are you moving around so quickly? I can barely see anything. Slow down. You know, why did you do that? Why did you pull that specific line and do this? Why did you put the line there? Next time, consider doing this. And they would always hold me accountable. So as much as we were talking tactics and everything, they weren't just yes men or yes women. They weren't like, oh, that was good. That was good. No, they held me accountable and helped me grow. So it went to the the idea of you just said about surrounding yourself with the right people, man, that's that's all the time powerful. Um, so let, let's go further with this a little bit. I, I want to say one more thing about um, the, 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 the voice here we're talking about in our words. I was reading an article recently and I, I used it today at one of my officer development classes for my department. And it was, I think, a 2011 Psychology Today article. It says something about it takes 10 or more repetitions of a positive statement for us to absorb it into a core belief, but only three seconds for a negative statement or criticism to stick. And I, I, I was, I just found that I was actually, it was a, a line from a book called success mindsets by Ryan God, Godfordson. And I just stopped. You talk about a moment of pause. I saw that and I stopped and I just stared at that line for a second. I thought that's powerful. Yes. We should be lavishing positive praise and giving handshakes and all that kind of stuff. But it's those crucial conversations, just those conversations that are uncomfortable sometimes that, not only are needed, but that stick sometimes more so than some of the positive ones. And I just, I can't get this out of my mind these days. I'm stuck on that that, that page in the book and I haven't turned it yet. But um, it goes back to what you were saying about the the voice and the and the, the vocalization and such and uh, those words. Um, so Chief Holton reminded me, um, as I said earlier, about FDIC and that it's about tactical takeaways. So let me ask you this. Um, for... If, since it's about tactical takeaways, what, in terms of the people that are listening to this, could we offer them to practice the, this concept of influence as we've been talking about? What would you suggest? Where do we start with that? Oh, geez, man, that's a loaded question, man. <laughs> um, well, you know, you know, there's so many different areas that you're going to tackle it from. I mean, they all end up essentially in the same place, which is trust, right? Uh, you know, the trust is probably the core part of, of, of having that influence. So they all ultimately, the goal is to get to get to that point as many different directions. But, you know, in the Nuggets class, something I've used is a, the, the three conditions of influence, because I like them. They're, they're kind of objective and they're really kind of straightforward, you know, and they're, they're broken down into, into three areas, you know, um, building building trust, which a lot has to do with in the firehouse, um, having uh, expertise um you know what you do you know operationally and then uh you know your value system you know having your value system that lines up you know some way some form with with the people that you're leading or the people that you're surrounded with you know so if i had to you know if i had sat down and somebody walked in and said listen i want to get better at influence those are the three primary areas i would really dig deep into you know and and ultimately you know the trust is probably going to be 
Well, ultimately, in the long run, is going to be the most important factor in that. And the trust comes from two different areas. It comes from how you treat your people, how you take care of your people, um, you know, um, how you react from your mistakes, um, because everybody's watching. You know, it's no different than a parent making a mistake. You know, our kids are watching. Um, to how you how you conduct yourself on the fire ground and emergency scenes, and and how good you are at the job. You know. Um, all of that is super important and it ties in together. Um, the easiest thing to start off with right off the bat is just treating people right and putting others before yourself. You know, we, we've kind of adopted a culture here at Midway um, operationally and in the firehouse. And it's very, very simple. And it's identified in writing in our operational plans. And it says in the firehouse, <clears throat> uh, others before ourselves and on the fire ground, default aggressive. It's simple. You know, nothing complicated, um, you know, and that servant type of leadership, you know, one would argue could be the first step in influence, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers it because I was kind of jumping all over the place because that's such a broad question, but it definitely well, it, with value and values and trust, you know. You answered it perfectly because, you know, we didn't talk much before coming on and the fact that you started with trust. And then the words you said were expertise in your value system. It's so interesting you say that because even though we haven't really talked in, about that in granular depth before coming here, I literally was talking to our officers this morning and the first trait we talked about in terms of leadership was trust. And how do we develop that trust? I ask every time I do that, I ask the group in the in the room who works together. And you know, there's a couple of guys that work together in the same truck or the same station, or whatever. And the first question I ask is, okay, so you work with him. I was like, Yeah. Do you trust him? Well, yeah. Why? And they go into a, 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 the reasons why they trust him. And then I turn around. Okay, well, you work with him. Yeah. Do you trust him? Yeah. Why? And it's wonderful to hear the responses. But most of them center around what you just said, the expertise and the value system. I, I was reading a book called um, The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And his definition of trust is almost what you just said. Trust is equal parts character and competence. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you said that, and I was teaching that today, it's just so weird how we're like on the same page with that. But it's so basic, starting with trust, starting with trust and building that trust. Um, so I'm, no, I'm glad you started with that. Um, and I like that, uh, like you said, those those core beliefs are, are there and, and out from everybody, with other before self and then default aggressive. That's it's not like just pretty words. It's not just the it's out there. It's, it's what you what you preach. And that's that's it's wonderful to see that. Um, so. And again, you're right. That was a loaded question so that we can go on all day with that. And I, I apologize, but I don't because I'm liking where it was going. Um, so in general, this this podcast, um, you know, we, I, I drive into different leadership traits. Um, so in terms of leadership traits, from your perspective, what are either one or your leadership traits that you go to that are most profound, most important in your perspective? Um, well, it's really in line with what we were talking about, you know, integrity. You know, um, you know, a leadership trait, I guess we fall in a leadership trait is, is as having that passion and that purpose that, that I guess could be a trait, you know, that the passion and the purpose is what drives people to be great at anything, not just the fire service. You're not going to find a professional athlete that doesn't absolutely have a burning passion at, at what they're doing. Right. Um, but, yeah, integrity, you know, a passion and a drive, you know, uh, uh, an optimistic attitude. You know, I don't know if that's, yeah, that's, and it's so basic, but it's so, it's so unbelievably important. I got to be resilient. Um, you know, 
So I'll throw this out there. This could be kind of interpreted as a trait, you know, and this is, this is something I've just come recently, like in the last five or six years, I've come to, uh, I, I look at this a little differently and maybe it's because I've taken this job now and I'm trying to organizationally, you know, move this, this, this thing in, in a direction as, as one team operationally. And I tell, I tell my officers and I start out with my battalion chiefs and you talk to any of them, they say, yeah, they've heard me say it countless times since I've been here. I'm more concerned that I'm going to be watching you more about how you rebound from a mistake than when you make a mistake. You're going to make mistakes on this job. You're, you're going to, and they're going to be in the firehouse because you're having a bad day, you know, and you pop off emotionally. You're certainly going to make mistakes on the fire ground as a paramedic. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to do all this. You know, the thing is mistakes are okay. We just make them once we learn from them, we move on, which is why if you want to get into videos, why that stuff's so important. But what I'm looking for now is the ops chief, especially this ties directly into succession planning and this ties directly into trying to ensure that you put the right people in the right positions is how are you going to respond when you don't get your way? What are you going to be your reactions? You know, that's it. And there are so many parallels in the way that the way you lead and the way that you're looking at leadership traits as you would want like certain traits for your children as they're growing up, you know, and, and, and I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, your reaction to when you don't get what you want, when nobody is looking is way more important than when shit's going right. Cause when everything's going right, it's easy. Anybody can look good when it's going right. I don't care how unskilled you are. You can look like a superstar. hundred mm. percent. Go get punched in the face a couple times, go get the answers that you don't want, or maybe have people misinterpret what you say and you're having to defend something that you don't feel you need to have to defend, let's see how you react then. Let's see your response then, because that's when you're going to see the character of somebody come out. You're going to see leadership traits come out. You're going to see maturity come out, or you're going to see the opposite direction. And then that, then you could even take it a step further, go into another rabbit hole. What do you do with it? Well, that's where I come in, and I think when you come in now at your age in the fire service, where you take these kids and, you know, and these younger guys, and, and you help them. Mm-hmm. understand the reactions and you help them make better decisions and you help them prepare for the next challenge when they have adversity and get them to thinking how they're going to respond to that adversity right anyhow all that being said i focus a lot now on watching and observing uh, my people and how you know they handle things when they don't go their way you know and that 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 plays a lot into leadership traits it plays into the character it plays in a lot of times in the value system um it, it plays into being an optimist, optimist versus a pessimist. Cause you know, I've, I've worked with guys that are just amazing firemen and officers, but you know, they just have this pessimistic attitude and this conspiracy theory. And it's just a, it is a, it's, it can, it can be um, exhausting at times trying to get them to, to see it a certain way. And it's worth it in the long run. Cause they're amazing, amazing individuals. Um, but the ones that are just instantly optimistic and, you know, and they're looking for opportunities as, as opposed to excuses more often than not, mm-hmm. you know, um, th- that, that's a big deal. That's contagious so, yeah, I mean, too. That's, that's contagious too. That, that, that yes. lack of optimism, the optimism or lack thereof. And the, the, that, that's contagious. Yeah. Yeah. You ever walked into, I've been around guys in my career that are just so outgoing and friendly and nice and upbeat. And they just, you know, if something doesn't go right. They just, they keep skipping on. They figure out the opportunities. Those guys, you just, you gravitate to, yep. and, you know, as a leader, that's, you want to, you want those types of traits as a leader because you want people that are going to gravitate towards you. That's part of influence. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, yep. Not to ignore problems, but I mean, if you had an opportunity to be around somebody that could always find an opportunity and a problem and fix it and respond in a certain way versus the, the opposite, they're always going to gravitate to the, to the, to the 
to the first one, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny. Again, we didn't I go, I go back to this. It's, it's, it's very ironic. We weren't talking really much before this, but the fact that you said how you respond to mistakes, I literally, I'm trying to take my camera and point it up to the side of my room on my wall right here. I have a whole series of words that have been just impactful to me. And one of the ones on the top says, how I respond to this will define me. Yeah, my buddy down the hall, Garrett, um, he said that to me once several years ago. He goes, because he was going through a, a tough patch at one point. And I remember seeing him one day. I'm like, hey, is everything all right? Is everything okay? You know, what are you going to do about this, this, and this that are happening? It doesn't matter what it was. But he looks at me and goes, how I respond to this is going to define me. And I was just like, boom, like, wow. And I swear, I think I say that to myself at least once a day. I'm pretty sure I say that to myself once a day. Because like you, we're dealing constantly with situations where are going to test us. Yeah. And you're you're a hundred percent right. And people are looking at we're on Front Street twenty four seven, man, and, and they're watching the way we respond. Same thing with our officers. Same thing with our influencers, and they're watching them. So I'm really I'm really happy you went there. That's I'm glad you went there because it is absolutely so true. Um, this this right here is one of my favorite questions. Um, so what are your concerns in the fire service today? In other words, what keeps you up at night? not being as good as we should i mean the job is so dynamic there's so many different aspects of it uh you know you you only you know and i put this on documents and i say it all the time we were out had a vacant house yesterday uh training with one of the shifts and i said it yesterday you only get one shot to get it right mm-hmm. so every call every you know those bad calls whether it's a you know it's a medical it's a fire or whatever our preparation as as you know my buddy kurt says really sets you know people up to live or die i mean it sounds cliche but there's a lot of truth to that so what keeps me up at night is not being good enough two things i'll tell you two things if you want to get if you were to even get down to it kind of get personal one is not being good enough organizational wise to succeed when we really need to you know, because ultimately our successes and failures operationally, um, they fall on my shoulders and I own them and I believe it. Whether so, you know, every 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 high performing and mid performing person we have in our department, I've got to own every single one of those. So one of my greatest fears is us not being prepared because because, you know, if we want to be honest with ourselves, fire service wide, we're not near as good as we should be. Period. We're not near as good as we should be. If we were, we still wouldn't be killing firefighters the same way we killed them when we started recording it in the early 70s as an example. You know, I think we're getting better. I think that you have way more education and way more of this than you ever had. So there's so much opportunities to be better now than there were just 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the other fear from a leadership perspective, and this is what I think helps me and drives me, um, is the fear of failure of my men. It's no different as a parent. I have so many parallels now. You know, my biggest my biggest fear is is failing my kids, you know. They're going to be your ultimate judge. I don't give a shit what the fire service does. When you walk away, there's just going to be pictures on the wall, hopefully, and some good stories about you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your kids are going to, what they say about you is really going to give you the measuring stick of the type of person you are. So why do I say that? Because in the fire department, while I'm here, my men are, are my measuring stick. And, and you know, in the fear of, of, uh, of failing them and not being a servant leader and not doing what I feel chiefs should be doing, which is putting their people first and ensuring that they're trained and they have the resources uh, to be their very best on somebody's worst day, which is another thing we constantly put in documents here, is is uh, is super important. You know, so you no, know, 
what do I fear? I fear that we're not good enough when we need to be. Um, because when we're not and it, it doesn't work out our way, that's the shit that's hard to, to those are the demons that live with us. You know, and then on the, from a, a leadership perspective, from a chief's perspective, it's just a failure, the, the fear of, of failing the men, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's that's simple for me, really, you know? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's a powerful statement because that, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that fear of, of, of not not living up to your family's expectations or, or you know, uh, well, let me put me preface in this way. Somebody asked me recently what my definition was of success was. Um, and, and my response was, as long as I can go home to my wife and kids as a man, then I've done right. If I can go home to my wife, Dr. Shaw, and say, hey, I did good today, or my two kids and say, hey, daddy did good today, then that's that was powerful. And then looking around at my organization and the people there, you know, constantly making sure you're doing everything possible to make sure, like you said, that they're taken care of and you're empathizing and trying your darndest to get them what they need to to, to work, to survive, to fill their themselves in the job. That's that's powerful, man. And then I guess the same thing that that fear of disappointing, it keeps us going too. it's like a driving force. It keeps us at that level. And it's I guess it's the only silver lining with that. It keeps us motivated to keep being that that strong chief, that strong leader. So yeah, I'm glad you went there, man. Um, so let's talk about this. Um, uh, I, I, I got a couple more questions for you, and I'm almost done here. But you you travel around a lot, like like I get to do, and um, I, I love doing these podcasts and have these conversations. What do you think that more people want to hear on in terms of, of their perspectives on leadership? What what are the big topics today that I should maybe be focusing on in future episodes? What are some big topics that you're hearing that keep coming up again and again? Well, I think I think you're you nailed them to be honest with you. I mean, you know, you're talking about influence, which I, I agree with John Maxwell. I mean, that's what it boils down to, you know, and how to do that. What I think people want is they want a black and white answer for something that's completely gray. You know, the mm -hmm. leadership concept in itself is simple. The application of leadership is very complicated, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. you're dealing with a human factor. And I don't think there's any one set answer to help somebody get there other than to do what you're doing. Because honestly, you, some of the questions you've asked, that you know, we kind of went over leading into and give me some thought. They're very, they're kind of deep. They're not, they're not easy. I think, I think that's more of what uh, people are wanting. And now to take it a step further, I think what a lot of the guys that are at these conferences, what they want is they want to understand and how to be better leaders operationally, which is a combination of what we're talking about. And it's also a combination of being very good at what they do and how to how to create a positive atmosphere so others do the same. Because what happens a lot with these guys, and I'm I'm guilty more than anyone else as a company officer, is that we tend we tend to be steamrollers and and you know a lot of times we turn people off more than we turn on, which is exactly mm. the opposite of what we really want to do. At, at this point in my career, I'm really focusing on trying to be that different guy that pulls more people in. But that's a challenge leadership wise that a lot of hard pushers hard chargers at the at the uh, at the street level are, are facing on a regular basis because they get frustrated from many different things frustrated from sometimes a lack of, of engagement of people around them fellow officers frustrated from from chiefs that don't uh, view the job the same way or the importance of it and then of course that leads you into what we were talking about earlier our responses their responses you know and so what I think a lot of them are doing is they're trying to figure out how to be better leaders at that level to become more productive. And that's that's a tough thing to do when you're in your 20s and your 30s and you're a hard charger and you're passionate 
And a lot of times that passion equates to being angry, you know, and, and when you don't have somebody mm -hmm. around you helping you rein you in and having those tough conversations and telling you what you need to know, you know, that you don't, um, then it, it, those adjustments at that leadership level can be very difficult. Those are the adjustments I wish I had when I was in my 30s as a company officer, somebody in times, quite honestly, I had a couple of chiefs that really pulled me in and, you know, really enlightened me and told me some things I needed to hear that I didn't really want to hear. You know, um, you know, in fact, that's one of my written expectations for my battalion chiefs is I expect them to tell me what I need to hear that I may not want to hear. And I said, listen, I like that. as long as you're not insulting my mom, we're good. I'm not going to take it personally. <laughs> it took a while. I've been with them three years and they do that. They're very candid with me. But, but if you don't do that at my level and you don't do it at a company officer's level, you're never going to be able to adjust your leadership sales and you're never going to learn from it. You're going to keep repeating the same shit over and over. And you know, fine as well as I do, that if you happen to be that personality that's kind of assertive and you, you're you not open to people coming and talking to you, you're never really going to know it. They're going to be talking about it. They're just not going to be telling you about it, you know? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question, too, to be honest with you, because there's so many different areas. But I think you kind of digging into the weeds on some of these things and the perspectives that different leaders have, um, I think, is, I think is, is super beneficial. You know, so yeah, I think perspectives at my level is going to be a little different than a very successful company officer that is mature and he 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 gets a lot of what we're talking about. You know, um, his perspective is probably going to be a little different too. You know, yeah, yeah, or her perspective or whatever the case. So it's it's funny. Uh, we're we're ending this podcast kind of the way we started in theory because that last comment of some of these uh, the individuals that are motivated and highly energized are steamrollers and then what that looks like in what you were talking about i gotta tell you that right there will be will be my moment of pause as we leave this conversation that opened up some some doors for me that i need to go process for a little bit because you're right we have those people that they're so motivated and so passionate and that scares some people away sometimes uh, but at the same time, how do you take those and take that passionate person and direct in the right way? Just like you said, with your chiefs having those tough conversations with you sometime. Yeah. So as we leave here, that's what I'm going to be processing today. Just so you know, you've, you've done it again, by the way. Thanks. Appreciate it. Now I got more homework. <laughs> but but I, I, I love how we're, we're coming to the end here. And I love that the last thing you said was telling people what you need to hear. That's that's kind of profound, man. That's again, there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm going to be definitely mulling over some of this as we go forward today you give me some stuff to think about but, but let me ask you this what's next for you what's on your radar these days what should we keep an eye on you know honestly man it's uh it's it, you know i haven't done a whole lot of teaching in the last three years it's just uh i've been so focused on you know my organization and trying to do stuff here having you know i mentioned earlier when we first started talking having the ability to you know my chief jonathan kenzig that brought me in who i've known a really long time we actually came up in the fire service together to bring me in and do culturally operationally and leadership wise like what we're talking about here today um is uh is where my focus has been you know and i feel like anytime i i i go teach or i get away from it i feel like every day i'm gone i'm, I'm a day behind where i need to be on doing things here so all that being said i'm probably not i'm gonna i'm going with my brother a few times this year to get out and teach a little bit and it's it's kind of selfish on my part to, to get around some people and kind of feed myself you know and uh you know and and go visit and be with other guys that have the same challenges. Um, probably not going to FDIC this year. Uh, unfortunately, our, our class didn't get picked back up. I don't know why I had great reviews, but that's cool too. Um, I had, probably had to do it more so to instructors, I think, because they don't normally do that. Um, 
you know, so I probably won't. I may um, uh, get back up there, but probably not. So, no, man, I mean, it's uh, just staying focused here, you know, in the panhandle of Florida. And I'm, I'm going to do seven more years here and not an hour past. And then I'm checking out and me and my wife and I are going to travel and we're going to go to the next chapter of our life. It gives me 30, 38, 39 years. And I want to go spend every penny of my pensions that I can. I don't want to leave any. When I when I step off the face of the earth. Amen. So, yeah. Amen, man. <laughs> I hear that. All right, man. Well, listen, this is this has been good. And I'm I'm really happy you were able to join me today. This was really something special. And I I, I just to review some of these things that you said, because I wrote down a lot of notes once again. Um I love that you mentioned firemen are predictable and, and we know that you talked about the culture and that, that people go to different departments for money and for culture money and or culture. And we dove into that a little bit, but the idea of how you build that culture and impact and influence and then develop that culture. Um you mentioned that moment of pause. In other words, you've learned to have a stop and pause moment. And I can definitely appreciate that because I too now these days when I see something either that's a profound or needs to be addressed or whatever, I've learned to develop that moment of pause. So you definitely spoke to something that I think we as leaders need to do. We need to pause for a moment and digest what we're seeing or things that need to be uh, uh, worked on, to say the least. I love that you, you dove into trust, man. I love that you dove into trust in terms of, of those traits and how we kind of talked about that being the beginning. That's, that's step one in developing that trust and whatever. Um, I, I like that. Um, I love that you said that in terms of the traits, you, you were talking about how we respond to things uh, that's going to define us. You know, you're watching for people how to respond to mistakes, not the mistake itself, the response to the mistake. And that's huge. I think more people need to hear that idea and keep that in the forefront of their mind as they're approached with difficult situations or conversations or things that come down the way. That's that's powerful. Um but like I said, and a couple of things that I'm going to walk away with is the idea of that, that steamroller comment. That, that's going to stick with me for a little bit. I'm going to have to digest that a little bit because there's a lot to unpack there. But, um, man, I, I can't thank you enough for, for being on today, man. This has been a great conversation. Um, if people were to connect with you, how would you want them to do that? Uh, easiest way is through my email, smoke850 at yahoo.com. I'm on it probably once a week. So, um, but yeah, they can reach me on my email. Or through social media. I'm on I'm on social media. Anybody can find me on Facebook and reach out. You know, um, I'm pretty easy to find. Call somebody like you. You got my number. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give your number out to everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, man. Any any final words or words of wisdom, man? Anything to, to wrap this up? No, man. Um, you know, for those that are listening, you know, you know, keep keep studying the job, study leadership, study human behavior, and certainly study. Uh, you know. Um, we, we, I just feel we got We have to be the best we possibly can and be great. You know, I have two boys, two, three kids, one daughter, she's at physical therapy school and two boys, and they're both contemplating uh, whether or not they want to get in the fire department or not. And I've already, you know, one's, uh, almost 18 and one's 15. And I've had conversations, very kind of candid conversations with both of them. And I made it very clear to them that if they, they choose this career path, which I think is an amazing career and job. Um, but if they choose it, they, they have to be great at it. And they may have, I don't think they took it wrong. I just simply told them if they're not, I'll be the one that takes them out of the job. Because I just believe in it that much. That's the takeaway, right? You know, and that's the challenge to go through a 30-year-plus career to constantly study and be good. Because it's a different job every two or three years. It's so unbelievably dynamic. Um, so, yeah, man, just keep studying. And, and, you know, when you get frustrated, reach out to people around you that are in the fire service. You'll find that the struggles are the same. And some of the therapy sometimes is just doing what we're doing, having conversations with, you know, 
guys down in Fort Lauderdale and talking about the same challenge, you walk away with a little different perspective and a little refreshed. So it's been good for me, man. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy having conversations. And by the way, I've got a couple of notes myself that you said. So. <laughs> I like well, well, I appreciate it, man. All right, so th- that about wraps it up for today. Um, thank you all for listening out there. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please drop them in social media or, or reach out to us. Um, it's been wonderful talking to Chief Stone today, and um, I guess we'll see you next month. So everybody, please be safe, um, uh, and uh, we'll see you then.